If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 499. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahan Academy, free to enroll, get your free class, 10 Myths of American History, purchase a class there, you support the show that way. Click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com, get my autograph on one of my books with a book plate. Purchase one of my books wherever you buy books, my latest, The Jeffersonian Tradition. It's a great book, also Southern Scribblings, and I've got a lot of other books too, Forgotten uh, Conservatives in American History. Uh, the Founding Fathers' Guide to the Constitution, Two Pigs, One to the Founding Fathers, The Other to Real American Heroes, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, lots of great stuff. So uh, you can always go out there and pick up those books as well. And as always, share the podcast around on social media, rate it where you get your podcasts, let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally, and send me those show requests. All right. This is a listener-generated episode. I received this a request to do this, and it's from The Atlantic. The Atlantic is always good for podcast fodder because they always produce some pretty embarrassing stuff. Um, and, of course, with the situation in Afghanistan, what's been remarkable about, uh, about that for me, and, and the last podcast I did on it last week, I recorded that before the catastrophe that happened with people getting out of Afghanistan as fast as they did and how quickly it fell and the Taliban, of course, taking over the government and all the things that are happening there. Biden's speech, um, which was actually a good speech. I mean, he, he said all the right things in the speech. Now, we know Biden is telling tales at times, tall tales. For example, he said, we don't have any troops in Syria. The Pentagon says we have 900 troops in Syria. So, I mean, I don't think Biden knows what's happening half the time, which is the problem. But the fact is, he made a good speech saying, why would Americans bleed and die in Afghanistan in a civil war that Afghans themselves won't even fight? Why do we have to be the world's police force, essentially, is the question. It's a very good question, and one that I think needs to be answered by those in power. Now, Ron Paul gave a very good speech against American interventionism in 2012 when he left the Congress. And, of course, he had been consistently hammering American imperialism for years, uh, from the 1970s through the 20-teens, right? I mean, this is something that he had always done. And he was correct in saying that foreign policy follows, or I should say domestic policy follows foreign policy. If you have an aggressive domestic uh, foreign policy, you're going to have aggressive domestic policy. And this is what we're going to talk about in this particular piece from The Atlantic. They work together. They're in concert. Your foreign policy reflects your domestic policy. And vice versa, your domestic policy reflects your foreign policy. We've seen this since the 1860s. And I'll give you an example of that. During the war in the 1860s, there was an attempt by the Republican Party to begin 
the process of making the world safe for democracy in places like Crete. There was a discussion of it. Should the United States get involved in Cretan independence for humanitarian reasons? So should we, because we're liberating the South, I mean, that was the point of the Republican Party. We're going in, we're freeing slaves in the South, we're liberating the South, essentially. I mean, we can question as to whether they liberated anything, but we're liberating the South. And so should we not do that around the rest of the world? Should we not go out there and liberate everybody else? Well, of course, conservatives rightly said, no, we shouldn't do that. And we know that from Washington through basically Lincoln, that was the dominant position. You go back and read what Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson... Martin Van Buren, William Henry Harrison, John Tyler. Now, we'll leave aside James K. Polk, but even there, even there in the 1840s with Manifest Destiny, which certainly had this element of bringing civilization to heathen peoples in the North American continent. When you get to the war with Mexico and you started seeing some of the Democrats push for all of Mexico, it was correctly rejected as being impossible to do. We would take an occupation force the United States didn't want to pay for and didn't have to maintain order in Mexico. So you had that. Then you get to Zachary Taylor, and he said, look, we're not going to be the world's police force. And you saw the same thing with Franklin Pierce and Millard Fillmore and James Buchanan. It's only when we get to the 1860s that you start to see this view of American foreign policy shift. Well, if we're going to end slavery and we're going to do this for humanitarian reasons, then we need to think about being more involved in humanitarian causes around the globe, or at least in favor of democracy. And then you look at the Spanish-American War in 1898, which, by the way, began under a Republican administration. And Way McKinley and Teddy Roosevelt uh, essentially sold the war, the Republican Party did, for humanity's sake, we're not going to war to acquire territory in the Philippines or in Cuba. No, no, we're not doing that. We're doing this for humanity's sake. And they actually had a poster to this effect. I mean, that's the amazing thing about it. They had a poster that said this. The flag has not been planted on foreign soil for profit, essentially, but for humanity's sake. And of course, once we win the war and the Filipino people want their independence, we send in the military and crush that. So that's because the United States is not really interested in human rights, but in territory. So the left then started to make this part of their acceptance of imperialism. You look at how just about every war has been sold since World War II. Well, Korean War was to stop communism, but we also do it to keep people from becoming communist, and uh, that's humanitarian. Same thing with the Vietnam War. It's a war to stop communism, but we're also building schools and doing all the right things. If you look at the Great White Fleet being sent around the globe under the first, or I should say under the Teddy Roosevelt administration, it was done for humanitarian reasons, to show it we're just good people. It wasn't a show of force. No, no, no. It's to ensure that people think the United States are just good people and we're spreading good cheer and goodwill around the globe. 
And don't mess with us because we have all these big white battleships that will shoot that will shoot at you, right? So I mean that had nothing to do with it at all. You look at how the war in Iraq was sold. Even the first Gulf War, it's a liberation movement of Kuwait. Kuwait. A part of a piece of land that at one time was part of Iraq. This is why Saddam Hussein was surprised that the United States was even willing to draw a line in the sand, literally, over Kuwait. Who cared about Kuwait? Well, we didn't really care about Kuwait. This is about our interests in the Middle East. Then, of course, you get to 2002 and our 20-year, 2001-2002, our 20-year war in the Middle East now. We've got people, as I mentioned in the last podcast, who weren't even born fighting in the Middle East. That's immoral. Of course, you could also say the same thing about Korea, about Germany, about Japan. You could say the same thing about any of that. Any of it. Because we've got people that definitely weren't born stationed in those places. So this is... Uh, this is interesting when you look at that. But what I mentioned before is the left was willing to accept an aggressive foreign policy if it became human rights focused. And you look at what happened in the Nixon administration into the Ford and Carter administrations. Nixon, it was slight, but by the time you got to Ford and Carter, you started seeing more of it. Well, it's all about human rights. We're interested in, we're, we're going to criticize the Soviet Union for not being human rights oriented enough. They're not democratic enough. They, they abuse women, uh, you know, these kind of things. And this piece is nice evidence of that's where we're going with the left. In fact, the left now is saying, even though the left has been, the left is critical of Biden pulling out of Afghanistan because of human rights. So while we may have opposed it back in, 2002 to go into Afghanistan and occupy a nation build. But now it's all about human rights. So we got to stay. This is when I joked on Twitter. I said, well, think of the neocons making Afghanistan the 51st state. Well, the left might be in line with it too. I mean, because if you make it the 51st state, you get rid of the Taliban. Now you have human rights. So where does this end? Should we just start making all these different places states and then they have to fall under federal human rights uh, legislation, you got civil rights legislation there. I mean, it's laughable the Biden administration standing up, well, we expect the Taliban to uh, to honor uh, our, our, our legislation on uh, human rights. And yeah, okay, I'm sure they're going to do that. The thing is, the people of Afghanistan need to fight against this, not the United States. Biden was 100% correct. Why would the United States, why would American soldiers do this? When the Afghan people themselves... If there is, I mean, it's people point, there's diversity in Afghanistan. But when the people of Afghanistan living there won't do it themselves, why would the United States? Now, no one wants to see anyone abused, and we know there's all kinds of stories. I mean, you just look at the story of Marcus Luttrell and, um, and the fact that the, the people of Afghanistan helped him, or some people of Afghanistan helped them escape, right? So there are good people in Afghanistan. You don't want them abused. You don't want these. You don't want those people abused for helping the United States. It's a, it's a disaster. But the real disaster is that we were there in the first place. That was the real disaster. All this could not happen if we just didn't put boots on the ground in 100 plus countries around the globe. You avoid all these problems. 
So let's go ahead and read this, this article. It's by Caitlin Flanagan. Back in April, the Nation magazine told readers that the withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan would be a welcome and long overdue action. The essay by a scholar named Phyllis Bennis sounded upbeat, even salubrious. It was the liberal case in full. We Americans were a wretched people to have gone there and a depraved people to have stayed there for two decades. Some collateral damage upon our retreat was to be expected. We had spent too much time, she suggests, celebrating the important but tiny gains in human rights won by the small sliver of women living in the cities, while the 75% of Afghan women who live in isolated villages and rural areas continue to face the highest level of infant mortality in the world. So here is a nation, which is a leftist magazine, celebrating staying in Afghanistan because of tiny gains, but you know they're not really that important because overall it still stinks there. So let's just get out. Let's get the hell out. And, and that, the next sentence says that. Get the hell out of, has, of course, been the liberal position for two decades. Uh, I would say, I mean, fine, liberal, but libertarian as well. Uh, this is where the, the left and the libertarians and the old conservatives, the old right, generally agree. We should not have the American empire. We shouldn't have the American empire. And I would say if that was, if, if, if you put all those groups together, that would be the majority of the American population. If you put the left with the libertarians and the old right together, I know the old right's small. Libertarians are a fairly sizable faction. Uh, and then the left, you've got enough people to oppose going to war and endless wars and interventionism. So Flanagan says that had been the liberal position for two decades until about 72 hours ago when Democrats suddenly became so concerned about the fate of, of Afghanistan you'd think they were a Dick, at a Dick Cheney revival meeting. And I think part of this is because the Democrats don't want to be seen as soft. Go back to the Cold War. Michael Dukakis riding in a tank in 1988. He looked like an idiot. But he didn't want to be seen soft because the guy had let all kinds of prisoners out as governor, and of course that caused problems. So he wanted to be strong in the Cold War. This is something that Ronald Reagan made a key component of the Republican platform, Republican Party. He painted Jimmy Carter as soft on the Cold War, and that was seen as one of the reasons why Carter lost the 1980 election. He was soft on, on communism. Soft. You go back into 1948. Well, Harry Truman was portrayed as soft on communism. So what did he do? He became so ardently anti-communist, um, at least theoretically, he's willing to go to war in Korea. Right? So being the opposition saying you're soft on this is going to have a reaction where the, the other side is going to become so hard. I mean, we got to stay in Afghanistan. we got to complete the mission. we got to go in there and keep boots on the ground. Now, for the left, that becomes the humanitarian reason. we got to save girls, and this is what this article says. You can call for American troop withdrawal for 20 years, and you won't be politically or strategically wrong. But you need to be ready to take it on the chin when you get what you ask for and the inevitable happens. Girls being forced into child marriage and forbidden to go to school or to leave the house without a male relative. Well, okay, this is horrible, right? That's horrible. We all agree that's horrible. That's the culture of Afghanistan. So what this article is actually advocating is... is cultural imperialism. We think that our system is better than theirs. And we would, I mean, anyone in the United States would agree that these things are bad, but 
The people in Afghanistan may not agree that's bad. The political culture there is barbaric, but it's something that the people there accept. So why would the United States send soldiers there to impose our will on people that won't try to do it themselves? And now you can say, well, it's because they're weak. They can't do it themselves. Well, they've been given all kinds of resources. A pro-Western style government was given all kinds of resources to keep these barbarians at bay. But they won't do it. They won't do it. Is your conscience prickling? Don't worry. Senator Dianne Feinstein has everything under control. She is concerned about at-risk women and girls in Afghanistan. We aren't abandoning them. They will be covered by the Bipartisan Protect Women's and Girls' Rights in Afghanistan Act, introduced by Feinstein and Senator Joni Ernest in May. Do you ever get the tired of being lied to? According to this act, America will use the withholding of economic aid and the voice of the United States government to protect Afghan women. If the Taliban abuses those women, America will ensure that the militants are brought to justice. Of course, this is all just blowing hot air. Everyone knows it. They're not going to do anything about it. And in reality, they shouldn't. Again, the people of Afghanistan, as horrible as this is, need to take care of Afghanistan, not the people of the United States. Of course, everyone behind this grotesque bill of fiction knows what bringing the Taliban to justice would require, the round-the-clock presence of a massive military power. Of course, not the inside voice of Dianne Feinstein. We could not stay in Afghanistan forever, probably should never have gone there in the first place, amen, and were deluded when we thought we could track Osama bin Laden to a cave in the northern mountains. But when nearly 3,000 of your countrymen and women are blown to bits on an ordinary Tuesday morning, you do not take kindly to the nation that welcomed killers. Well, right. I mean, so something had to be done, and this is the question of what, how we had to do it, uh, people did point out in the piece that I talked about on Wednesday that the, ta- the, the Taliban was willing to give up Osama bin Laden uh, conditionally at times. Even till the end, they would conditionally do it. They would give him to another power, not the United States. Well, I can understand American reluctance to do that. What power are they going to give it to? They're going to give it to someone of our choice, then you have to get into extradition, then you have all those problems, and then the United States is going to get into a quagmire with that. So if the United States wanted him, the United States should have gotten him, and that would have been that. I can understand that position. So then you lose, you use letters of mark and reprisal. You create pirates to go out and get Osama bin Laden. And they would have done it. They would have done it. They would have figured it out. There's no doubt in my mind they would have done it. You would have had people signing up to go do it. That argument has always failed to move many critics of the war. But even so, it's remarkable how quickly the left took up the cold calculus of real politic. How quickly it forgot its love for Uh, Malia, the young Pakistani girl who survived a Taliban bullet to the head. Her only crime, getting an education and trying to help other girls get one too. The White House must have known she'd give Biden a bad news cycle or two, and indeed she appealed to the president to take a bold step to stave off disaster. You can understand why she thought he would listen, but she's not a real problem for Biden. You know why? Because she's something mere. She's just a woman. She has no army behind her, no treasure, nothing to, at all to compel anyone to listen except for matchless authority on the matter and the fact that morally, if not strategically or politically, she is right. But again, when is the United States going to stop being the world police? When are we going to stop doing this? So what this essay essentially is accepting is we're going to be the world police, so we need to do it 
on the basis of human rights. We need to go to every country that's violating human, human rights and straighten that out. Well, what about China? What about, what about Cuba? Uh, what about virtually, I mean, almost you know, several countries in Latin America or Africa? What about uh, countries there? Should we go in and send in the military in all of these places too? I mean, we already kind of have, but I mean, should we just do it full bore, full scale? Should we go in and send in the troops so that we can protect girls? Now, I'm a father of girls, so I understand protecting girls is very important. But here in the West, we're blessed with a way we can do that. And I understand here in, in the Middle East and other parts of the world, it's not, so, it's not so clear cut. But again, these people were given the means to protect themselves, and they refused to do it. What else can you do? Here's the fourth cup of tea. In the next few days, another girl foolish enough to think she can keep going to school will take another bullet to the head. And when that happens, the left is going to lose its mind. Dianne Feinstein is going to be very disappointed in the Taliban, and she's going to use America's voice to give them an earful. Melinda Gates and Mackenzie Scott will go 12 rounds in Madison Square Garden to, deter to determine which one of them gets to fund girls' education in Afghan, Afghan refugee camps. The winner will fund beautiful schools, air-conditioned, STEM-centered schools, and there might even be time for the winner to private jet herself to the Aspen Ideal Ideas Festival to explain the importance of girls' education before those schools are blown up along with the girls inside them. We did in Afghanistan what we always do when we have lots of troops. A tremendous amount of firepower and no uh, brief on what to do with them. We killed a lot of people. Destroyed a lot of things and lost many of our own young men and women. We never did find bin Laden there. He had slipped away, we were told, as though he was a considerate dinner guest at a Noel Coward play. But when our, while our soldiers were in that country, America spent nearly $790 million supporting the health, education, and well-being of Afghan women and girls. Female life expectancy rose from 58 years in 2002 to 66 years in 2018. Leave American troops idle long enough, and before you know it, they're building schools and protecting women. We found an actual patriarchy in Afghanistan and had nothing else to do. We started smashing it down. Contra the nation, it's hard to believe that Afghan women won gains in human rights considering how quickly those gains are sure now to be revoked. The United States military made it possible for those women to experience a measure of freedom. Without us, that's over. Now, this is all leftist drivel, right? But, I mean, this is what... This is how the left wants to sell imperialism now. Imperialism is a good thing because we can go out and protect girls. We can spend lots of money. Now, remember, as I said... Foreign policy then creates domestic policy and vice versa. This is the left on the domestic side of the United States thinking that they need to spread this all over the world. Well, what makes you think these people actually want it? I'm not certain they do. If they did, they would have fought to keep it. The reason, aside from honoring quagmires and the tender mer mercies of Dick Cheney, that we stayed in Afghanistan so long and at such great expense that was with nothing to show for it except the safety of that small sliver of women and girls is that, for all of America's sins, our default position is freedom. Right? So for all our sins, our default position is freedom. So we didn't stay there because of a quagmire or honor. We stayed there because we believe in freedom. For all of our sins, we're a great country. That's easy to forget. I don't think it's very hard to forget. I mean, it's not... You look around, all you got to do, look, if you want to take you want to take great pleasure in where you live, do Google Earth and look up, I think it's Forlandia in Brazil. Just go down there, the city that Americans created in Brazil to have a Ford factory, which is, it's a ruins now, but it's, it's, there's parts of it still there. Go look at the city close by 
and do a just drive through the streets of the city in Brazil. And tell me if you don't think where you live in the United States is a million times better than that. Now, maybe if you're in uh, some of these rundown parts of our decaying inner cities, uh, I couldn't make that case. But for most people, uh, point out, look outside, and then drive through these where there's garbage piled up, just peeps of it on the side of the road. Poor sanitation. We have parts of Africa that see like cholera outbreaks because they don't have uh, purified drinking water there. I mean, you know, I don't think I think it's pretty easy to remember. I'm recording this in an air-conditioned room, right? When it's 95 degrees outside, that's that's really great. I don't ever forget that. People have to be willing to fight for these things though and preserve them, or if you don't have them, to get them. And if you're not willing to do it, what are you going to get? Last year in this magazine, Barack Obama made what has got to be one of the most astonishing statements ever offered by a former president. I'm not yet ready to abandon the possibility of America. You see, that's Obama, though. That that statement defines what Obama was. What he said in 2009, it's the same thing. We're going to remake America. So that's the possibility. You see, Obama, America's only great in Obama's mind. If it doesn't match it, if the other side's in power, if it's not what he thinks is great, well, then America stinks. Well, I'm not willing to say that even if the other side's in power. I don't think America stinks. America's the people. That's what America is. Not, it's not a political border. It's not a government. But to Obama, it is. It's a government. And it's laws. And it's forcing people to do things they don't want to do. That's America. But America is really the people that are here that make America great. The local communities the friends, the relatives, the building of things because we just want to do it and we do want to help people on a regular basis. Americans are charitable. Americans believe in these things. And to slap down people that would be willing to spend money, as much as I dislike the Gates Foundation and other things, to spend money to do these things. I mean, that's amazing. What makes that possible? We have a lot of money here in the United States. We have a great, prosperous people. And so Americans are willing to, to help people and Americans sacrifice lives, thousands of them, to do this. But would, why should we continue to do that and spend the money? That was fast. What happened to no other country on earth is my story even possible? That was another Obama quote. So, Obama's just being Obama. Obama's showing his discontent if he's not getting his way. He got his way when he made that quote. He was sitting in the Oval Office. I always feel lucky because I've got a middle name Hussein and where other place could that actually happen? I feel lucky. Uh, my story is only possible here to go into Martha's Vineyard and rub elbows with all these faux great people at my 60th birthday bash. That's only possible here unless you're a dictator in some other country, some other place in the world, and you're a thug. And it's possible there, too. But Obama's story is only possible in the United States in many ways. For a bewildering two decades, we had the political will and a large enough volunteer military to spend our blood and treasure protecting the human rights of some of the most powerless people on earth, girls. And no other country would that story even be possible. Well, it was for a time with the British. I mean, they did it, and they figured out they couldn't afford it anymore, which is why they stopped. 
And of course, it's not about girls. It's about things, other things. But the left is going to try to sell now foreign adventurism on protecting girls. Well, that becomes dangerous. Absolutely, that becomes dangerous. And when you start doing that, you create a recipe for disaster because you're going to have endless wars, endless boots on the ground, lots of Americans killed for a people that generally won't help themselves. And what you're trying to do is remake the world in the image of America. And most people don't want that. They want their own political culture. They want their own society. They don't want the United States in there. Because what else were American troops bringing to Afghanistan? Other parts of American culture that people did not find so savory. They didn't like it. And so that was certainly part of it too. All right. Thanks for sending this piece along, the people that did. I thought it was very interesting and, of course, deserved a response. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. (laughs) 